Hola. Bienvenidos otra vez al Injury Prone Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porras, Dr. of Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. Follow me on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc. Today, I want to go over part two of Injury Prone is a Lie. Part one went over really well, but I really think that the bread and butter for fantasy football players lies in part two. If you haven't listened to part one, I'd stop, back up, go back to Injury Prone is a Lie part one. I don't sound very excited. I was really exhausted when I recorded that. So, in part one, the first thing that I'm not saying is that is that exceptions and patterns don't exist. They do. There are players in the league that you could potentially argue have some injury problems. And that's okay. It happens. I'm not saying this is a blanket statement. The most dangerous thing in the world you could do in any aspect of your life is give an absolute. There's just no such thing as an absolute. Statistically, there are players who are injured more often than others. Another thing I'm not saying is that injury histories are irrelevant. Injury histories are like the best predictor for future injuries. It doesn't mean that if a dude has a concussion, he's going to then have a hamstring strain and a foot fracture and a shoulder dislocation. Injury prone typically is used by people who are not medically trained or have a medical background to blanket cover every person, every player who's ever burned them. Statistically, scientifically, that's not true. But injury histories do matter. They matter a lot. It doesn't always mean that they're going to predict the future, but injury histories are the best tool we have to determine the risk for a player and a recurrence moving forward. Another thing that I'm not saying, and this is probably one of the most important things I'm not saying, I'm not saying that injuries don't impact performance. Okay, if they're younger than or equal to 24 years old, if their draft capital is in the fourth round or higher, and if their injury isn't catastrophic, then injuries typically won't impact their performance as much as we like to think. So injuries do impact performance. I'm not saying they don't, but it's all shades of gray and it's it depends on the type of injury and the player's positional demands. And lastly, from part one, the most important point is that 2.3% of games are quote injury free. So zooming out from a big perspective, everybody gets injured. Sometimes it's one player getting several injuries. Other times it's several players getting one injury on the same team. It, there's a 2.3% rate of injury-free games. So to say that anybody in the league is injury-prone is just statistically inaccurate. Everybody gets injured. But now I want to move into part two and give you the most actionable part. Now, if you've been following along, you know that last year I put out my injury volatility series at fantasypoints.com. It's linked here in the Injury Prone Part 2 and Injury Prone Part 1 articles. But if you want the entire legend for the formula or quote-unquote model that I used to help determine players who are in the red light, green light, or yellow light tier, you can definitely come to the article. It's still a free article. And you can click on the, the Injury Volatility link. And you can read all of my hot takes from the 2020 season. So I'm not going to give the whole table. That's basically what I'm saying. If you want to see the whole table, you can go to fantasypoints.com and check it out. But just a, a sample. I applied for wide receivers, one point for hamstring injuries, one point for concussions, and one point for ankle injuries because those are typically the baseline, most likely injuries that every wide receiver is at risk for. So everybody starts with the baseline of one. Another thing, for example, that I added was a recurrence in hamstring strains, which we know that the recurrence in hamstring strains is typically about 20% in a calendar year. It's about 15% in a season. So if they have a hamstring injury within the calendar year, they get a 0 
if they, for example, get a concussion the year before, there's about a 25% recurrence that I calculated on my own in 2020. The moral of the story here is that every injury and every injury recurrence that's major and pertinent to the position was assigned a value. It's not perfect, but it was assigned a value. There were a couple of positives and negatives that went in there. For example, if they were a running back who has carried 300 times in a season before, we know that that's actually something that is a positive. So Derrick Henry, he got a, a bump. So it just depends on the position. And it depends on the situation, but there were positives and negatives, and there was a net score at the end. They're all weighed differently. So you take this model, you apply it blanketly, and you have a number, arbitrary number, that shows a, a player's volatility score. Now, I talked about in the article a few players that I was avoiding in 2020, David Johnson, Mark Ingram, AJ Green, Evan Ingram. Those were all, some of them were obvious, some of them weren't. There were also some misses. Dalvin Cook, for example, was a player that I was avoiding, but it wasn't completely fading him. I was just fading him to a certain extent, just like you should do with every player. You should never completely fade most players. So this score helped guide my drafting. If you want a full list of those players that I did avoid that were in my red light tier, you can go to fantasypoints.com, check it out there at the injury volatility site. You can also find it at FBInjuryDoc. I'm pretty sure I highlighted some of them. I also highlighted some of the misses but overall, this is a quantification of injury risk per player and per position. Next year, I'm already working on it. I've updated recurrence rates. I've added some new data. I've refined the tool itself. So the idea is to give a better raw score at the end of the math to understand a patient or a player's true volatility risk. I think it's helpful. I mean, I'm biased, but I, I think it's helpful. So those are the methods. For in-season management, this is probably the most pertinent information out there when it comes to injuries. So here's how you apply it. Let's start with some injuries that I'm definitely avoiding in some context at some point. For example, concussions. Concussions are known to be bad, obviously. Concussions are known to recur. They're volatile. They're difficult to predict and every player goes through the concussion protocol at a different rate, and nobody really knows when they're gonna come back. You could be Allen Robinson and come back within six days. You could be David Johnson, be put on IR for at least three weeks. But how do you quantify that? Well, right now I'm working on a concussion study trying to figure out what the exact recurrence rate is dating all the way back from 2012 through 2019. I haven't got the numbers done on that one. So for now, we'll just use the 2019 number which was a very rough 25%. Every player who had a concussion in the previous two years had a recurrence rate of 25%. Now that's pretty high. And obviously we want to get that narrowed down. We want to get specific. Was it first time concussions, second time concussions, third, which ones are documented? That's what I'm working on right now. But as a blanket statement, there's about a 25% recurrence in concussions for players within the first two years of their first concussion. So that's the quantification there. What else is the quantification? It matters for DFS players. DFS players want ceiling, especially if you're a cash player. You want ceiling. You're not going to go with a wide receiver or a running back at your flex who's coming off one week of a concussion because we know within the first seven to 10 days is when the recurrence risk is the highest. That's according to the literature. 
Another thing you want to consider is even within the first 30 days, if you really want to mitigate risk, that's when you avoid players who have had a concussion. Just because they're back doesn't mean that they are absolutely 100% healed. The protocol is not perfect. Every human brain is different. If you want to avoid risk as a DFS player, then you can fade these guys. Within the first two weeks, definitely fade these guys because the recurrence rate is something you can quantify. Now, when it comes to season long, maybe it's been two or three weeks. Obviously, you still have that 25% hovering over your head, but once it's been two or three weeks, you can probably safely trade for a player if the concussion is the only thing that you're nervous about. So another issue that I think is a little underrated in terms of how bad it is, even though I think most people know it's pretty bad, is the high ankle sprain. The high ankle sprain is misunderstood. The first point I want to make about it is that the blanket statement is, oh, four to, four to six weeks, high ankle sprain. That's not always necessarily the case. Unless Adam Schefter or Adam Kaplan or Mort Report say this team is saying four to six weeks, you can't assume four to six weeks. Here are the numbers broken down, and it's in the article. For 60 players since 2016, 60 skill players who've come back from a high ankle sprain, here are their weeks missed. 14% of those skill players since 2016 missed zero games. 22% of those skill players with coming off a high ankle sprain missed one game. 12% of those skill players missed two games. 27% of the skill players missed three games. As far as the four to six week mark, only 10% of that sample missed four weeks and only 11% missed five or six weeks. 5% missed seven or more weeks. So in other words, 36% of players have ended up missing zero or one games after a high ankle sprain, but it's not binary. Even though they're coming back a little faster than documented or a little faster than reported, or let's really call it what it is, a little faster than the narrative, they're still not 100%. These players who come off the high ankle sprain, the skill players, they all average about a 15% dip in fantasy production compared to their average. That's what's quantifiable. That's another quantifiable number you can use. The first week back from a high ankle sprain, there's about a 15% drop in production. On top of that, these don't always get resolved. Michael Thomas, you saw that with him. Raheem Mostert, you saw that with him. Alvin Kamara in 2019, you saw that with him. These high ankle sprains stick around. They're stubborn, they don't go away, the swelling is persistent, and the pain is real. It's hard to cut with these. It's hard to sprint with these. These injuries, even though they don't always bring every player down for the rest of the season, are extremely volatile. You can end up with a situation like Michael Thomas. You can end up with a situation like Emmanuel Sanders who played through it in 2018 until he got the tightrope hurt. Players who have had a high ankle sprain, at this point, I am not targeting. Unless you're really swinging for the fences and you start one and four or two and three, something along those lines, I am not trying to trade for a player who's coming off a high ankle sprain. That's a lot of doom and gloom though. So let's talk about some injuries that I'm actually trying to chase. So if there are any players I'm targeting, it's going to be players coming off of this type of injury. Let's start with MCL sprains. Now, the first thing you're probably thinking is, wow, MCL sprains, Nick Chubb just had an MCL sprain. He was out for four weeks. That's right. The average return to sport for these are about three to four weeks, especially if they're a grade two. A grade three is a different story, but those are super rare. But when it comes to MCL sprains specifically, 
They have a really low recurrence, about 10%. They have a good blood supply, so they heal well. And they just don't tend to follow players around often. It's not very common that you hear about persistent MCL sprains, at least not in NFL athletes. So MCL sprains, once it hits week two or three, and you know the player is going to be back in week three or four, yeah, I'm probably going for it. It's something that I'm going to swing for the fences if, play, if other fantasy managers are panicked. You can end up with a really nice asset like Nick Chubb. If Nick Chubb's your RB2, especially in 2020, you were doing great. Another injury I'm a little more cautious of compared to an MCL sprain, but is still pretty high on my list of injuries I'm chasing, is the AC joint sprain. When it comes to AC joint sprains, the average is about two to four weeks. The median is about 10 days for return. These can be a little tricky, like if players come back too soon, like James Conner did in 2019, or players can come back and be just fine, like Cortland Sutton was well before he tore his ACL. But these injuries typically don't recur. They're not extremely uncommon. In other words, they are common. But when it comes to recurrence, as long as the player doesn't come back too soon, which you can be pretty sure they are not coming back too soon if they come back around the week three or four mark, then they're going to do okay. So poach your league mates. If there is an owner who's nervous about an AC joint sprain and the player is in week three recovering, you see that they're limited in practice and then they get a Friday practice in that was full, they still don't play, go get them that week. Upgrade your lineup at all costs. An AC joint sprain isn't something you should be too concerned about. The caveat here is quarterbacks. AC joint sprains can follow quarterbacks around, so be careful of that, obviously, if it's their throwing arm. If it's their opposite arm, not so much of a big deal, but definitely avoid quarterbacks when it comes to AC joint sprains. Any other position, I'm poaching them. So those are just a handful of injuries that statistically show pretty good metrics that don't worry me when it comes to return to play times, and you don't hear a lot about the recurrence rates. It just, they're not as common. There are other injuries that I talk about here, like rib bruises, thigh bruises, contusions, foot sprains, especially hamstring strains. I think those are the most important part uh, injury to manage in fantasy football. Those are all in this article at fantasypoints.com. So before we sign off, the last thing that I want to read is just sort of odds and ends from this article. Some of them are points that I've already made, but I want to make them again. Here are some stats that I think are super important to understand. Concussions are dangerous and have approximately a 15-25% to 25% recurrence rate. 56% of first-time documented concussions end in the players sitting the next week. Players coming off of major surgeries like ACL, Achilles, and Liz Frank have a capped ceiling. The top 12 running backs are tightly between the ages of 22 and 26 when it comes to fantasy football. The average and the median age is 24. Exceptions obviously exist, but that's something major to remember when it comes to top 12 potential. You're not chasing top 20 potential when it comes to running backs. You want to chase top 12 potential. Those are the ages that matter because athleticism matters. And if the NFL is a young man's game, the running back position belongs to the adolescents. As far as wide receivers goes, the average age is between 24 and 28. Their lifespan's a little longer, but their prime also lasts a little longer. Coaches and staffs almost never tell the truth when it comes to injuries. Don't believe them. Just don't. Zach Taylor is a perfect example of this, lying about A.J. Green in 2019, then lying about Joe Mixon in 2020. A player, by the way, who I'm not worried about is Joe Mixon. A player I am worried about is Julio Jones. 
Another player that I'm not entirely worried about is Will Fuller. If you want any more information on those players, hit me up on Twitter at FB Injury Doc. Ask me your questions. Send me your DMs. Send an email to Edwin Borras2020 plus fantasy at gmail.com for bigger questions, longer questions. Rate, review, subscribe. If I've ever helped you with anything, if you thought this was helpful, please do that. It helps our numbers. I am a numbers person. Thanks for tuning in.